Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you are, tuning in. Welcome to the Ezra Reads the Law podcast. This is your host, Christopher Roman Orea. Today, I'm excited to announce to you I have another uh, special guest on, my good friend and brother and fellow podcaster, uh, Alex Zank of Undying Light. Alex, did you care to say hello? I don't don't know how... uh how good of a podcaster I am in that sense, but you know, here, here I am living the dream. We're living the dream podcasters. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hey, we mean, we got a small group. We got to stick together. It's a, it's it's an exciting, it's an exciting group though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, appreciate being part of, uh, or being friends with all you guys. Um, you, Thomas, Nephew, we've had some great times on episodes. Oh, um, yeah. Matt from last year, I remember those. The Bible Dingers, having them on board for the uh, the last series you did, the uh, the eschatology series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, I definitely appreciate being, uh, being able to call you guys friends and brothers, as well as sisters. You know, we have Courtney uh, and Anna from a, from a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and we have Z, of course, on Instagram. But, but, and anyhow, anyhow, uh, let's see. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at at another great text here in the Gospel of John, as we've been working our way through the harmony of the Gospels. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter three. Um, at the end of the last episode, uh, I had touched on verses twenty three t- through twenty five. And that verse 25, where it says that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Uh, And it's neat. That part seems to kind of unfold into the texts that follow it in the Gospel of John. Uh, Here, he's going to be talking to a ruler of the Jews, a man named Nicodemus. Uh, Eventually, in chapter 4, the woman at the well in Samaria. Um, But anyhow, I don't want to get too distracted with that. Uh, If you don't mind, I'll go ahead and read the passage. We're going to be covering 21 verses today. We're not going to 
get into every tiny little detail, but we do want to cover this section uh, here. Uh, chapter 3 of John, verses 1 through 21, I said here. Yeah, um, yep, 21. And yeah, and I'll go ahead. Uh, I'll read the text. Um, would you want to go ahead? I think we break this down. Uh, I'll read through verse 15. We'll touch that section, mm -hmm. and then we'll carry on into that next section that starts with, of course, probably the most famous verse uh, in existence, uh, for God so loved the world, 3.16, John 3.16. Mm -hmm. That works. Yeah. So this is exciting stuff. I'll go ahead and read the first portion for us. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these, thing, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we'll stop there. Boom. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a powerful discourse. It's a definitely a powerful discussion we have going on here, huh? Mm. Yeah. And, and you know, before we really get into the meat of it, I, I'm always one to warn people because there's a lot of different views on this particular text and we'll get to the six, yes. we'll get to 16 and 21 and explain that yeah. a little bit. But you know, as, as you and I talked in the pre-show, uh, I, I think this whole verse really focuses on, or this whole section focuses on, <clears throat> on verse three. If, if we, if whatever your hermeneutic is, if it, if it's, you know, I don't know, really the word I'm looking for, but if your hermeneutics are, you know, to read it in the manner that you must uh, be at a point in your life where you're born again, because that's what the text says, unless one is born again, and you yeah. experience that <laughs> that change, then by all means, that's a way to read it. Uh, but it, it, there's there's a lot of different things here going on in this text, and I think we'll dig into and provide some other viewpoints if we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, 
you say that phrase, that phrase we see here, uh, unless one is born again. Um, it, it brings to mind, and as I've listened to various uh, teachers on this particular passage, it <clears throat> it brings to mind the familiarity we have, I think, in modern Christianity with that phrase, I'm born again, are you born again? I've visited small and wonderful churches uh, where somebody greeted me, and they're, they're concerned with winning people to Jesus. They're concerned with sharing the gospel. So, you know, that one of the first questions often and I've seen will be, are, are you born again? So um, it's going to be kind of neat to look at the text that we derive this uh, this phrase from in Christianity, kind of really look at what it means to be born again. Right, Alex, would you say? Mm, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> I think that's the biggest crux. Again, it, it's all based upon your hermeneutic. If your hermeneutic reads it, you know, let's say in a more of a Baptist position, then you're going to have uh, one very particular view of this text, and you're not going to... Um, and, and at least in my experience, you're probably not going to have much leeway to allow other views to kind of sit in this. Yeah. Um, I, I never really dug into this text until I was in seminary and, and I'm still, again, not even, um, you know, I'm not a professional theologian or anything by any means. Um, I'm just where I'm at in life is pastor and seminary student. That's that's my that's my shindig. So yeah, and I'm a I'm, I'm yeah I'm definitely no professional. <laughs> I'm the guy that decided he wanted to get on and start like sharing God's word and it's totally I, awesome I, though. I, I, thank you, and, and, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity. And I mean, I'll be honest, this uh, sort of it, it kickstarted my study where I I've gotten deeper and deeper into studying God's word. And it's like, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. You start seeing it in the bigger scope or the overall scope mm -hmm. of the Bible. Like, but I'm sure I've said this at some point where Jesus is the point of the Bible. It sounds like the Sunday school Christianese answer, but it's kind of the truth. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus is, Jesus is the focus of the Bible. Mm -hmm. God's redemptive plan for humanity. So, yep. So we have in this text today uh, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, uh, who we will see later on a couple times in the gospel. But uh, he's we're introduced to him here. He's a ruler of the Jews, which a lot of the comments that I've looked at as I did my research suggest this means that he was a part of the, I guess, the Jewish ruling class would be the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm. um, and he was part of that group. Um, and he comes to Jesus by night. Uh I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that uh, portion. I, I know with the by night thing, it's often contended that it was kind of trying to keep a secrecy to it where he was kind of uh, curious about Jesus undercover, I guess. I don't know. But what would you say to that? Um, so there's a couple of different ways to, to handle that. Um, the first is just what you said. It was a manner that Nicodemus was trying to just, you know, get some answers and he didn't want to confront Jesus and, and, the open day when there's other Pharisees around. And so he goes under cover of night. Um, then there's another view and it just escaped my mind. Give me a minute. <laughs> it's, it's been a long day. Oh man. Well, it, while, while you're, while you're trying to remember that one, I will say maybe it's this one. Um, but I'd heard 
it's sort of a, he had enough respect to recognize him as a rabbi, as a teacher, mm-hmm. which he says, he calls him mm-hmm. rabbi here, and not wanting, maybe perhaps not wanting to disturb him during busier daytime hours. So. Well, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, so I think I have what I was, my other one was, we see Nicodemus, as you mentioned later on in the text, and it's at the, was it at the trial of Jesus? That we see yes. him kind of speak up, um, and and so there's there's some small groups of theologians that would attest that Nicodemus was and that it was in fact saved. He had faith and he believed that Jesus Christ was Lord, and 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 by his by his actions he does so. And, and there's you know there's a whole bunch of significance. Um, in terms of cover by night, like here's what the Lutheran Bible says. It says that uh, simply that his colleagues would not know John's presentation of this encounter may symbolize those in the world who came out of uh, the evil darkness to Jesus, the light of the world, uh, as we see 19 through 21. Um, you know, and then I've got my ESV study Bible, which uh, doesn't even reference that, uh, that text. And uh, here's what the Reformation Bible says, that this might betray a fear of being seen, or it might be seen um, of difference to Jesus, a rabbi who should not be distracted during the days you've mentioned. So, you know, another thing, too, is the fact that, you know, Nicodemus is doing this, you know, a part of the rest of, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus is under immense persecution from the moment he begins preaching. He's despised and hated by the Pharisees, and they try to pl- and they plot to kill him from really the very beginning. Yeah. And and so Nicodemus is essentially risking himself by having this meeting with Jesus. Yeah. If I mean, just think about the consequences if he's actually caught. Definitely, definitely lends more credence to the uh, idea that he came. As a by night, as a sort of cloak of secrecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I—that's probably where I would lean my my holding to. Yeah, I I, I think I'd lean in that camp myself, uh, somewhat there. Um, oh, let me promptly lose my place in the text. That's good. Um, so that—that's verse two. He's calling him rabbi. He recognizes him as a teacher. That's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And, and just previously, uh, I think it was, um, I'm, I'm spacing on the verse, but in, in some of the texts that we've already covered in John, that it, Jesus had done signs already by this point, uh, possibly multiple in number. Uh, the one that we have recorded here in the Gospel of John is, of course, what happened at the wedding in Cana. Mm-hmm. Of the water being turned to wine, um, and as Thomas and I had mentioned when we went through that text a couple episodes ago, um, th- that it was noted later in the Gospel of John that if all of Jesus's uh, acts, uh, everything, if every little detail of everything he had done uh, was put into books, that the world probably could contain all of these books. So, mm-hmm. so foreseeable by, you know, mm, and I'm going to jumble my words too tonight. Uh, foreseeably. <laughs> This uh, Nicodemus uh, is aware of these signs that have been happening with this controversial rabbi that he's, because of the controversy that's probably already following him at this point, he's going to come to by night. Uh, uh, 
no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Um, and time and again in the Old Testament, we've seen, uh, the, I guess you could say the moves of God, the people of God, the prophets of God being authenticated uh, by these signs. Mm-hmm. So I think even looking forward to uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, where these signs um, are authenticating um, this, the ones that God is using, uh, the, the apostles there, uh, the prophets back in the Old Testament. So Nicodemus has this confirmation that this uh, man, this rabbi, is, uh, this controversial rabbi is sent, is from God. Um, or it has God with him, as he puts it in the text. So Jesus hits him with uh, the hinge, the verse that you said is kind of the, the hinge or the focal point that the rest of the passage is going to kind of expand for us. Uh, he tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, which is kind of cool because I guess there's something ambiguous in the Greek here that it could also be rendered, uh, it could reasonably be rendered as well, unless one is born from above. So, um, yeah, I've heard that translation too. So, all right, go ahead. But, uh, but yeah, um, truly, truly of an absolute certainty that I believe is, uh, the underlying phrase behind that would be amen, amen, kind of where we get our English amen. It's a, mm-hmm. it's this certainty to this statement that Jesus makes, um, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Would you care to expand on that verse uh, as that verse is the focal point that we're going to have here? Certainly. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, the, the the premise that we find ourselves in in our hermeneutical understanding, and Anthony and I have done, you know, a couple podcasts on a matter of truth about hermeneutics, um, and I think, yeah. uh, you know, if you look. <laughs> Back in the archives of Undying Light, Paul was doing um, a uh, series on hermeneutics, and so you know, go yeah, yeah, go check those out. Um, But everybody's hermeneutic is different, and and each denomination has a different manner of understanding and reading text. So yeah, um, and and I come, you know, for the longest time, I would have considered myself a five point Calvinist. not quite Dutch reformed, but you know, I'd say just standard tulip internet Calvinist. Standard tulip internet Calvinist. That's that's. We can, let's, can we brand that? Can we put that on a t-shirt? Can, can we trademark yeah. that? I think that'll work. Please, <laughs> it's already out there. Somebody's already registering. It. Oh, they are. So, oh goodness, man. Yeah, go ahead. So, when I was kind of in that camp. This this verse would peak up every once in a while, um, and the argument was was for those outside of the Calvinist camp would say that the born again, and I'm using quotations here, uh, is a referencing to uh, baptism, and the Calvinist position would say no, it's not a direct connection to baptism. But it's more of a uh, like a moment in your life, and so it's the moment when you go from unbelieving to believing. That's your born again moment. That's when you hear the gospel and you believe. So, uh, and, and again, I'm I'm just speaking from my experience, 
Uh, I can't tell you if every Calvinist out there holds to that view or every Baptist or Presbyterian holds to that view, but that's what the people I ran with um, would, you know, attest to and say that this is what the belief is. So when we look at this view, then it is dependent upon other things. And like, again, if you're going to classify yourself as being born again, um, does that mean you were in the right place at the right time and you heard the gospel preached? Or does it mean that, you know, somebody had just shared the right Bible verse on Facebook and it caught your attention and you decided to follow up with that? I mean, there's, there's all these little things that can uh, play into that particular notion. And, and, and one of the reasons why, when I left the Calvinist camp and went into a Lutheran camp, uh, and the, the belief of this text had shifted drastically for me and, and it had really, it had completely flipped everything upside down. And the way the Lutheran, at least the, the small group of Lutherans that I'm in, and I say small because there's not a lot being, not a lot of us are taught in this particular camp. Uh, and, and main, mainly because the ELCA has its grips on most of the Lutheran seminaries. Um, and Missouri Senate and Wisconsin Senate are the biggest. So I'm not a part of those. So I don't have that influence. My Senate's small. So anyways. The, did, did I understand real quick? Did I mm-hmm. understand that correctly? The, the, the ELCA, the ELCA, is, is having its influence on Missouri Senate. Uh, there, there is some, I think, starting to kind of show into some of the uh, Missouri Senate teachings, but That's, I'm, I'm not, I can't really speak on that. Yeah, def- no, I mean, definitely. Yeah, definitely, we definitely make make clear that you know you you can't speak on that. I'm the guy just trying to like learn a thing or two, as I've mentioned several times on mm-hmm. my show. Uh, that I, I've taken an interest this last year in a Lutheran doctrine. I'm. I've had trouble getting into the Book of Concord, I will say, but I have dug into various portions, especially with the uh, the historic ecumenical creeds. That's I, I'm I, I'm digging the creeds. I'm enjoying the creeds very much. I love that affirmation of a of true Orthodox faith. Um, mm. So digging into the Lutheran thing, uh, I I know, and that's part of why I was excited to get you onto this episode because I know that you've learned, and of course. Uh, now are more familiar with that position um and you see the relation to baptism and i'm gonna admit i guess perhaps at least uh as of yet i would say i hold and this is what i've been convinced of looking at uh references in the old testament um i guess it would be more of a calvinistic position on this i i don't fully see the connection to baptism but Again, that's part of why I was excited to get you on this episode, <laughs> because it's like, hey, here's this thing I'm aware of that I would like to share with the audience. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I, I, I get nervous sweats when I start digging deeper into baptism, because that's, I know I was baptized. I believe in faith. I was baptized. I you know, admitted myself to uh, my baptism. Um, and if you ask my parents, I was also baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church, because I was raised Roman Catholic 
that's an entire side tangent. Mm-hmm. Either way, I, there, there's a connection I make with this text that looks back at something in Ezekiel, but I want to give it back to you for a second because I believe we were kind of rolling into, I think we were kind of rolling into verse four and you were saying something on that thing. Yeah, so the the Lutheran perspective doesn't necessarily focus too heavily on the born again. Uh, the born again uh, phrasing is really uh, the aftermath of what happens for the Christian. Yeah. For the Christian, what the Lutherans focus on is actually in verse five when Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, those four words, water." and the spirit can can have completely flipped this entire text upside down for me. And what I, what I mean by that is, and I'll give two different examples here. If I am going about my life as an adult and I am, uh, I, I, I do not believe in the gospel. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Never heard about him. I don't, you know, don't go to church, none of that stuff. And then somebody in my life shares the gospel with me and faith comes to me because Paul tells us in Romans three, or I'm sorry, Romans 10, uh, that faith comes by hearing. So when the gospel, so when the gospel's proclaimed, then we have faith. And so that is like, step one essentially of saving a person the gospel has to be preached and and i'm speaking specifically to an adult um but and and then we can get into there's all there's all these little different rabbit holes and i want to steer clear of them as much as possible and just provide some basic clarity because this text is not one that we can really discuss fully in an hour it is something that you can teach an entire course on um the way the lutherans understand this is is if i'm an adult and i go about my life and the gospel's given to me then i have faith then the first thing in my heart would be to be baptized the first thing as a believer would be, I need to be baptized. And so we see text throughout the uh, New Testament there. Peter writes about it. Paul writes about it. And Jesus even says, you know, go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, Peter says that, you know, the baptism is the washing away of the sins. And so whether you believe in baptismal, and I hate the phrase, baptismal regeneration, it, 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 that I think, uh, is a negative phrase to the word, to, to, you know, baptism itself. Lutherans don't believe in that, at least not in the circles I run in. What we believe in is when water is paired with God's word, then salvation is had. And essentially wherever God's word is placed, salvation is had. And we see Jesus actually use objects all throughout the new Testament whether it's bread and wine, water, mud, his spit, Jesus uses objects to deliver faith to a person. And so in this, when I baptize a person, uh, you know, I've done a teenager and I don't make him come up and do a profession of faith or anything like that to me. If he's coming to me saying, I want to be baptized, then I will baptize him. 
the baptism is that moment that Paul writes about that we have been baptized into a death like Jesus's. We are we are go, we go under uh, and experience the death, and then we are reborn and made anew. We are uh, born again. We are made righteous. We have the promise of the resurrection because we have experienced a death like His that we get a resurrection like His, and so the baptism gives us that reassurance of those things. Now, if you believe and you've never been baptized, I urge you to get baptized. But if you believe and you're not baptized and you die tomorrow, you will still go to heaven. Baptism isn't going to, you know, not being baptized isn't going to prevent you from getting to heaven. It's, it's faith. It's belief. But the Christian should yearn for that because it, it, it invites you into the fold, into the Christian community. It is like the initiation. It is like step one of being a Christian. Like, oh, I can, you know, I, I got that burden lifted off my back. My sins are forgiven. Christ has made me anew. I can go forward in my life as righteous now. If I have a family, and this is how we look at generations now going from the early church to today. Okay. Because uh, here's here's the argument that, and this gets into the credo and pedo baptist arguments. Yeah, the credo would go to the extent to say you can't baptize children because the Bible doesn't say that children should be baptized. the The issue with that argument is simply this: in this time. F- period between roughly 80, 34, 35, when Jesus is preaching his ministry, and then he's, then uh, the resurrection happens after his death, and then the institution of baptism happens in Matthew 28. Between that time and about, I don't know, 100, 110, you're really, you got about 70 years here of where the gospel is being preached out into the world. So you have, you do, you do not have existing believers at this point you have new believers you're bringing to them the new gospel to the especially to the gentiles you're bringing this new message this this wonderful good news to them and so as they are adults they're hearing this thing and i think a good example is cornelius in acts chapter 10 where uh, he believes in god and then uh when peter comes and preaches to him and preaches christ to him Cornelius then is baptized and his entire household is baptized. Again, that doesn't indicate children or infants, but generally in the the way the text and the writings in that time period were, it would include all women, all slaves, all servants, all children, no matter the age. So that's an argument you can go either way with it. But the, the issue that I find is, we don't have generational families here. We don't have people passing down the faith to the next to the next you know family here. These are first generational Christians. So then, once the the apostolic age ends, and and you know, and I'm not saying that this is the finite point when people started having babies. I mean, obviously, people were having babies, you know, well through the time that Paul was preaching and stuff, right? So, yeah. so families were you know, forming, but that's a whole nother mess. But after the apostolic age ends and the church continues to, to grow, 
you're, there's you, you still have two pieces, and it's the same thing today. You still have the unreached, the unchurched, the unbeliever, but now you have this community of Christians, and that community of Christians has preserved itself, and through what means? Through baptism. Because what do we do when we have a child who's born into our into a family of believers? We take that child and we baptize them. The thing that you know the the credo Baptists uh, try to push, and, and and again, I'm not trying to make an argument. If you believe that, I'm not going to you know don't send me your hate mail. I don't care because I won't read it. If if you're if you're in this camp and you, uh, it's the, I control my baptism. I'm making the decision to be baptized. It's me, me, me. I'm going to get up and make my profession of faith. I'm going to go through the actions, yada, yada, yada. It's all about you. And when I baptize an infant, as I did a couple, uh, actually two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I baptized my son myself, which was a tremendous, yeah, tremendous honor. Um, Congratulations. Wow. Thanks. Awesome. So when, when I baptize an infant, that child doesn't have a say in baptism. He's not up there protesting or egging, you know, or cheering me on. He's, he's just laying there, you know? And so I can baptize him. I can give him the promise that God will save him. I am, I am welcoming into him into the Christian faith or her. I'm welcoming them into the Christian family. And, you know, when I baptize an infant that's not my own, you know, another family, I am giving the power to the parents and to the, to the sponsors or godparents or whoever else they have with them that they will raise that child in the manner of Christ. So, that is the power given to the Christian community is that we continue to preach Christ and we continue to give faith to the children. You know, for instance, my daughter's three and a half. She'll be four in April. Yeah. She doesn't understand theology. She doesn't understand the depths of scripture. She doesn't really, you know, doesn't even really comprehend that Jesus died for her yet, but she knows that Jesus loves her Sunday morning. I was uh, heading over to the church to get ready for, for service. And I had just stayed a little longer than I wanted to here in the house. And I could hear my daughter wake up, which she usually sleeps until about nine or so. And so this was a, you know, and this was the time change. And so it was a little earlier, but eight o'clock in the morning, bright eyed and bushy tailed. I can hear her singing. Jesus loves me. Like she woke up and sang that. And she just walks around and sings that. You know, and it's because that's the culture you have to bring into a family. It's you, you teach them the right things about scripture and not just this fluffy crap that the American gospel teaches you, because that's where you get people who apostatize. That's where you get people who flare up with their faith and are, are on fire for a month and then sputter out true, authentic Christians just chip away at their life day by day. They sin and they ask for forgiveness and they love their family and they continue living their lives and they don't fret about, you know, the. F- 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Finer things of all that stuff. But anyways, that's my uh, long-winded spiel on baptism. And, and, and I think that helps to hopefully for you paint a picture of, of the pedo-baptist versus a credo in a very, very generic and you know manner but it also helps you to see the text from a different eye that the lutheran perspective focuses heavily on water and spirit not necessarily on the born again the born again as i had mentioned is the aftermath like once you've been baptized then you're born again you know and we don't get you know especially in the lutheran circle we don't get caught up in the um you know the order of salvation and we don't you know say you have to go through all of these steps no it's simply faith is given and you believe when you're it's a gift of god yeah yeah and so when you are when you are baptized a promise is given to you what's that promise that jesus will save you and we teach our kids that over and over and over again you know, you, you start with the most basic stuff when they're infants and teach them and raise them up. You pray with them. My daughter's three and a half years old and she knows the Lord's prayer by heart. Man, that's cool. The Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. My confirmands yeah. don't even know that. <laughs> Most of them do, actually. I, I shouldn't say that. They, they, they're they pretty smart kids, too. But 
you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's magnificent to see such profound love and faith from a child that, you know, (laughs) had I not been reached by somebody sharing the gospel with and reawakening my heart to the love of Christ, then I don't know where she would be. Be a completely different situation, I think. Man, that's that, that's incredible. That's incredible stuff. Um, there was something you had said uh, in regards to baptizing an infant, where it's there's not a uh, how'd you put it? There's not uh, nothing. The babies, um, how do I put this? They're not protesting you, nor are they really like cheering you on. Mm-hmm. It's, being baptized. it's very passive. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that, 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 and mentally for me, that connects me to the part in the text where, or just the fact that the text, Jesus is using this, this imagery, this metaphor of being born again, a second birth. And I know you, you guys don't really focus on the born again part, mm-hmm. but. I've heard the argument. I think this probably comes from the Calvinist side of things. I don't know um, that I've heard this Um, just as much as a baby, just as much a part as a baby has in its own birth. Connect that to here, just as as much part as we really have in, um, in this, that it's that gift that faith is that gift from God. Mm-hmm. And I see something of a connection that maybe not a great connection. I don't know. That just brought that to mind when you had me considering sort of that passive uh, role that the infants in there. Um, and, and by the way, this is blowing Nicodemus's mind right now because mm-hmm. he's verse four. He's just like, how, how, how I, if if there's a big highlight word that I see in verse four, easy other than the fact that he's asking, yeah. how is this possible? Does a man like does he does he enter his mother's womb a second time and then be born? Like how is he born again when he's old? What it, how I think would be that big highlight word? Nicodemus's mind's just blown here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's wild, and Jesus of course answers him uh, as you said, verse five. We were. Speaking of being born of the water and the spirit, um, the big argument I think that I'd heard, and I think we touched on it, I believe you said described it as having been something from a bit of the Calvinistic side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm smart and I remove all my bookmarks right before I hit record, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah, I'm. I'm the. It's fun being eighty. Alex, it is fun being ADD. Uh, it always brings me back mentally to Ezekiel, something I see in Ezekiel tw- 36, not 26, Ezekiel 36. Hey, that would also help if I was at the right chapter. But uh, uh, Ezekiel 36 at verse 25, uh, which reads in a portion speaking of how God will put his spirit within uh, his people. Uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, if, you consider, if we consider, of course, the fruit of the spirit and 
how we really need to rely on the Holy Spirit for mm-hmm. our um, uh, being able to live out uh, uh, a life in Christ. Um, and the, yeah, we, we need to have God's Spirit. It's by His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, that we can do these things. Yeah. Otherwise, we can't. It's true. Um, but yeah, you, your thoughts on what connection I'm seeing there with that text? Uh, yeah, so let me have it up on my screen here so uh, Ezekiel 36 25 I will sprinkle water on you uh, let me see if I can bring my commentary up on that are you on logos right now yeah yeah I'm that's, just that's cool I, I like knowing that we're using a lot of the same resources yeah um, just doing it on a technically mobile device, and that adds some fun elements to the game. Adds <laughs> complications for sure. Yeah, but it's still fun. I still enjoy it. So this the consecration is used for the priests and the Levites of the Old Covenant, and this is demonstrated in Exodus 29.4, Leviticus 16.4, and uh, verse 24, Numbers 8, 6 through 7, and 19. Uh, the exiles were to be worthy bearers of God's promise. He must not only give them back their homeland, but also cleanse them. So this is not an ordinary washing, uh, as verse, verse 26 demonstrates, but the sprinkling, uh, this term is most often used with the blood of the atonement and covenant. Uh, again, a bunch of text Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, and Hebrews and even First Peter. And I have a quote from uh, Cyprian. He says, The divine benefits can in no respect be mutilated and weakened by the mode of sprinkling, for in the sacraments of salvation the contingent of sins is not in such wise washed away as the filth of the skin. So I, th- I think there's a connection, and I think you're moving to it uh, in respect to the text from uh, John, you know, this, this portion here. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, the, there's a lot of ties with baptism uh, throughout the new Testament. Now in the old Testament, we don't get too much of it, but as if we look at the ceremonial manner uh, the the Jewish people would have been somewhat familiar with the kind of the, the framing of baptism that, you know, water's poured over you to wash you anew. So um, the Ezekiel text is obviously pointing us to a point where God will call his people back from captivity and wash them clean and make them new. It, it's the same thing that baptism's doing to a person. So while Israel kind of has this in the back of their head that, oh, we've experienced this before. It's nothing new. You know, this isn't, you know, yes, the way Jesus frames it and Nicodemus is like, you know, I, I, I picture it, you know, as you had said, it's like that word how really seemed to probably hold out a little bit. But I think if you know the little gif of Alan from The Hangover and he's got all of the mathematical things floating around his head. Like I can picture, oh, yeah. I, I can picture Nicodemus looking like that in this moment. I, I've seen that exact concept meme, but with like the blonde lady looking extra confused, a bunch of like algebraic weirdness popping up in front of her. Uh, just 
stuck. I think I'm pretty sure she's from some like CIS or CSI mm, mm-hmm. Miami Vice type thing in show. So I don't know. Looks like it. The backdrop looks like that. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, just confusing to him. Just utterly confusing to the man. Um, I'm trying to see where where were we at in the text? Were we we were kind of going through uh, verse seven. We see the. Uh, Verse 8 here as well. The wind blowing where it wishes and you hear its sound, uh, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, I, I do like that use of that imagery with the wind, um, uh, as well as the fact that I believe the same Greek word, uh, I don't have it in front of me, the actual Greek word, but the same Greek word means both wind and spirit. So it's interesting, this kind of like wordplay that's happening here. Yeah, and I think too, as well, to understand, you know, the, what Jesus is saying here um, in, in reflection to the wind that it's that's the movement of the spirit. You don't know where the spirit's going to go. You don't know what the Holy Spirit's yeah. going to be doing. Uh, you don't know if if I'm preaching to person A, person B, and person C. I can't tell, you know, whether any of them are going to come to faith or all three of them will. It's yeah. it's the doing of the spirit, and that's you know, and so it does move like the wind because you just can never control it. Yeah, I, I've. That for some reason that made me think of uh, I, I've heard of stories instances I don't know, you know where people have come up to a pastor who preached a solid biblical sermon uh, exegeted the, the the passage properly the scripture properly um, handled the text well and multiple congreg- congregants coming up to him um, thanking him uh, that were that that sermon seemed to have just spoken directly to them in their situation, in their lives. And it's like, well, that's the power of the, the word of God. Like, that's, yep. Yep. I, I feel, and, and, you know, just this faith and this, uh, just delivered by the Holy spirit through God's word. It's, it's just amazing. The power of this word. And we get to hold this in a book. Like mm-hmm. there's, this, this entire powerful word is sitting between, I don't know how many inches, maybe two inches at most, probably not even that. Cause I'm really bad at eyeballing uh, distances. I've done construction. I never said I was great at construction, but um, I'm just not good at eyeballing distances. But I have that whole powerful living word of our, our living God sitting here in front of me between two uh, leather covers. It's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that that brings new life uh, like that. That that saves people and pulls them out of darkness. We see we see that. Uh, Darkness and light motif kind of mentioned. I don't know if in this next section, or I think that's actually later in the section we're going to get to. Um, so, so I don't lose my place and don't get too far ahead here. Uh, verse 9, Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? Jesus answers in verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. You know, I had a curiosity about that. Are you the teacher of Israel? And I've heard it mentioned that that specific, I don't remember the term. The proper term escapes me. That definite article, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Are you the teacher of Israel? Okay. Would you say we can make anything of that? And I'm going to go ahead and pull up some resources on that while. Oh. Well, yeah. yeah. So one of the things with the Israelites, or at least with the Pharisees, is 
kind of their pompous attitude when it comes to uh, understanding the text. And it really gets them into trouble far more with Jesus than than it actually helps them because it shows their, shows their arrogance and their ignorance uh, at, at understanding and reading God's word. They, they don't have a clue about anything that Jesus is speaking of. And Jesus is like, aren't you a teacher? Don't you read the scripture? And, you know, there's a, there's an instance where Jesus walks into a temple, opens up a scroll, reads from it, rolls it up, puts it back and says, this prophecy has now been fulfilled. And he walks out of the temple and he's leaving it's everybody. Like, this is, this is me. Yeah. And he's leaving everybody dumbfounded. I love it. I and, can't wait to get to that text. <laughs> yeah. It'll be good. God willing, I can't wait to get to that text, but uh, yeah, go on. So it's just, I, I think there's, I think there's something to be said about Nicodemus here, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, it's just one of those, like, we know that he's, he's just not batting a thousand. (laughs) He's, he's, Uh he's struggling. Yeah. Missing, he's missing the point here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we get more affirmation from Jesus in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony again, as you were saying. He's just he, he's seen these signs. He has their scriptures. Um, mm-hmm. He has the scriptures, and he's not seeing it. Um, he hasn't been given those eyes to see, so to speak. Um, if I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That that makes me lean in my mind on that again just that power of the word of god and it makes me think of uh i believe it was the rich man in lazarus i want to say it was the rich man in hades uh wanting to come back and warn his loved ones mm-hmm. and jesus telling him, you have those they have moses and the prophets if they don't believe moses and the prophets so like i i, I want to say i'm probably butchering this i sh- all the cross references that I should have thought of in advance just came to mind while we're recording. <laughs> Wonderful, um, but yeah, if they don't basically, if they don't believe or them, you know, like they just they they're not seeing, they're not receiving this testimony. Um, they're not getting the heavenly things. Um, yeah. Any thoughts? Uh, we could probably go through the rest of this text here real quick, I guess, before we get to the last portion, which I, I figure it's shorter. We'll probably spend a little less time on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying. And, you know, as Jesus has said, you you have all of these people that have come before me and have preached about me coming, and you did not believe them. You know, as Jesus will later say, um, is it in Matthew or is it in John? That's required. He might be John. No. Who? It's when he talks about how all the, uh, we, uh, you know, I have sent prophets into, uh, into your cities and you've killed all of the prophets. And now, you know, now that I'm here, I forget, I'm totally butchering that paraphrase. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but the, that's the reality, you know, Israel rejected all of God's warnings over and over. And, and, and as I'm doing in my Bible study uh, in Hosea, that's yeah. a, a big issue right now in the Old Testament was that 
Israel was sitting here boasting about Baal providing for them and not God. And so, and so when Jesus is sitting here talking to Nicodemus, it's like, you know, Jesus could have simply had said, Hey, I'll give you faith and you believe, but Jesus never does that. He's never, it's never an easy process. If you would, unless it's somebody in dire need of it, because you'll have that text with the paraplegic when he says your sins are forgiven. And then everybody like loses their minds and calls him blasphemous. And he says, well, what's easier to do, forgive him of his sins or heal him. And then he turns and heals him. You know, the whole premise to all of this is, is faith. And, and I think it comes again to divine election that God is the one that decides who's going to have faith. Nicodemus may not have had faith in this particular point of his meeting with Jesus, but down the road, he certainly could have absolutely come to faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. This is, this is just, it's, it's such a rich text. We've actually gone quite a bit long, <laughs> I mm. think. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't mind. I, and I, of course, I don't want to, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I don't want to, Go, go too long real quick um we could probably touch the we probably should touch the uh, statement jesus makes um as moses lifted up as we see in verse 14 the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life this looks back at a portion of scripture we have that i had my finger on literally a second ago and moved uh here we go numbers uh, 21, uh, verse 9. It, it was just a situation where the uh, the people were becoming impatient on the way. Um, they were going, verse 4 tells us, from Mount Hor. They had set out, by the way, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And, and they're becoming impatient along the way. Uh, they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. They were griping. They were moaning about why they got brought out of Egypt. They thought they were going to die in the wilderness. They weren't believing in the promises God had given them in, in rescuing them out of Egypt. Um, so God, God sends these fiery serpents among the people. Uh, they come to Moses. Uh, they're crying out to Moses. They want him to pray to God um, to take these serpents away. So God commands Moses to make, uh, make this fiery serpent this, uh, this bronze serpent, set it on a pole, uh, and anyone that's bitten, when they see it, they shall live, verse 8 tells us. So verse 9, Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So he lifts up this bronze serpent. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm going to say what I hope is the obvious thing, that there was nothing special about the serpent itself. I think eventually they went on to idolize and worship the serpent, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Alex? Um, I, I don't know if that's, I, I, I just, I'm not, I'm, I can't say that I'm not well-read. I'm just not, I can't. Yeah. Call. I mean, yeah, I, I thought I'd heard someone say it. I, you know, until I get to look into it, until we get to look into it, I don't really want to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I should, I should, um, stop with that one <laughs> yeah but but the point i'm trying to make is that it was faith in what god said 
was going to um, heal you. So right. God said it was going to, uh, they had faith in the word of God, basically. Um, and, and that's the imagery that Jesus is using here is he's going to be lifted up, not only um, being lifted up on the cross in his crucifixion, but, you, you know, being exalted in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like the people in the wilderness had faith in what God had said, um, that they looked at that serpent and they lived. Um, whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. Uh, effectively, they look, they, they'll they look upon Jesus, upon, upon him as the promised Messiah uh, that God was going to send, the uh, answer to man's sin. I don't really think I can add much to that. Yeah, it, it, it was. Just, it's just neat. It's just like, you know, the Old Testament ha- has these, it, it's got some wild things on record in the Old Testament, of mm-hmm. how things went down with the children of Israel. But like, it's super cool to see how the New Testament just unfolds and opens that for us. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Scripture is just awesome like that. I mean, God's word is just cool like that. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, and we don't see we don't need to do anything to God's word um, to try to make it appealing or cool beyond doing the one thing we need to be doing with it. Besides, you know, taking it in, ingesting it, meditating on it, feeding on it, um, you know, building our lives on it. We, we it, it, the Bible is just awesome. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop there before I go off on a whole tangent. Um, I want to read the last few verses that we have, and we'll touch on those real quick uh, before we wrap up. What do you think? Mm -hmm. That works. Awesome. So welcome to the, as I said earlier, most well-known verse of Scripture probably in the world. Uh, John 3.16. I'll start there and read on through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. For whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And real quick before we start, I want to say one little thing for Mm. anyone that may or may not be concerned about not having heard the word begotten there for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's an entirely different discussion that we're not going to have here. Um, very much. Uh, some translations have it. Some don't mm-hmm. um, think of this only son. Uh, some, I think have even said one and only son. Think of it as only unique son. Uh, would you think that's adequate to say? Uh, yeah, I think you can probably pull that off. All right. All right. Um, so I, though it's put in the quotations, though it's uh, red letter and red letter editions, um, and there are many, I think, 
throughout church history that have taken it to be Jesus continuing on with his discourse with Nicodemus entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean a little more toward the thought that this is John interjecting and kind of expanding on what we just saw in the narrative right here before us, which is that kind of why I kind of dig the black letter text. Um, and uh, what's it? Uh, for God so loved the world. I, it, this really does seem kind of like an expansion of uh, what we had seen. Sort of a, I don't know how I put this. Maybe a clarification from a different angle. Maybe I. Maybe I'm just putting that entirely wrongly. Uh, what would you say? I I feel like I'm kind of putting that not too well. Um. Well, I think there's. <laughs> We could probably spend another hour talking about this one section. Oh man, um, maybe real quick. Maybe we should actually consider doing another a follow up episode to this, and there'll just be an extra episode. I uh, it, it very well might take it because there's just there's there's so much in verse sixteen that people don't really often understand, and and I'm really trying to get at the aspect of typology because we go. Uh, all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3.15. And then we go into um, Moses, or not Moses, but we go to Abraham and we get the promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Then we go into uh, Isaac and Jacob and then to Moses and all the way through the Old Testament. We have all this typology (laughs) happening. We have all of this foreshadowing happening, pointing us to this one verse that God is sending his son into the world as the promised Messiah. And again, you know, there's so much we could spend just on that one verse. And then, and then, then you have the, you know, the, the, the encapsulation of 17 and 18 um, to, to balance out, you know, this, the fluffiness that modern Christians have made 16 to be. We have the really awesome juxtapositions of light and dark, uh, in verse 19 there and through verse 20 it's 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 through the rest of the passage really um i would say would you be willing to go ahead and say we could make this a two-parter not tonight you know it's uh, I'll, I'll just let the cat out of that it's a little late for us we're recording at night so and i'm i'm sure both of us probably want to get some sleep um <laughs> <laughs> you know uh and hey would you be willing to do a part two to this and uh line that up to record sometime this week I it could very well be a possibility. I'm, awesome. I will, awesome. I will see what I can swing in terms of my schedule. Very cool. Very cool. We'll figure it out. Um, so I'll go ahead and call it. Do you have any parting thoughts for us to hold on to tonight, Alex? The biggest thing I would always recommend to anybody, and it doesn't really matter, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, what the content of the show is. If you are true about your study and and you're not and even if you find yourself trenched into a particular camp a, a camp of thought here you know whatever your theological backpack is is full of spend the time and just read the text and and what I really like to encourage people to do is read the text not just, you know, you know, don't read chapter three over and over again, 
read chapter three, but then also read other passages that are connected because you don't have to get a study Bible, but most Bibles have reference by, uh, you know, to it. And you can just look and say, oh, this is reference to this verse and that verse. Watch all those connections come into play and watch how scripture comes to life with the countless scripture references and ties that it has to each other and, and, and just spend time digging into it and then find yourself a comfortable hermeneutic, get yourself a good, comfortable church. And whether you believe in, you know, whatever form of baptism, cool. If you believe that John three has absolutely nothing to do about baptism, cool. Again, it's all about your hermeneutics, but make sure if you're going to have a belief that you're able to articulate it and defend it, even if your defense seems out of place to another person. That is my spiel. Uh, perfect. And, and I could, I definitely would want to add to that um, in relation to that. Uh, as I had said earlier, where, you know, I'm exploring certain doctrines, baptism, I get the kind of nervous sweats when I start dealing with it. Um, coming from that credo, uh, beginning to understand the pedo, but would still want to really do a deep dive into it at some point. Um, and everything that you explained, I mean, I'll be re-listening to this episode. I'll be really kind of taking that. I think you put it very well, and I hope this episode can become a very valuable resource for anyone that wants to understand that uh, the Lutheran position mm-hmm. on uh, on baptism. I, I um, hope so. And as I wrestle, you're, you're, and I call you, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to call you a friend. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm blessed to be able to call you a brother in the faith. Uh, I learn a lot from you. I, I hope that I help you in areas too with the scripture. Um, I know I've been doing the Esther readings and whatnot too, so I'm definitely happy mm-hmm. to uh, help with that. Um, I'm, that's an absolute blessing to be able to do that. Um, all that great connection, I mean, and we have a mutual love and respect as brothers should have for one another. Uh, despite all that, I have to hold to the scripture to where when I see it, it'll click. Uh, some of the other, another area of sacraments, as I told you in the pre-show, uh, the Lord's Supper, I, I was able to begin to start understanding the Lutheran position. Um, baptism, I still get the cold sweats. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the yeah. Have that mutual, to everybody listening, have that mutual love and respect with your brothers and sisters in the faith. Mm-hmm. Respect these solid biblical... These positions are argued from Scripture. Um, but let that Scripture be your guide to convince you of uh, which position you find is, I guess, more accurate or more close to Scripture, uh, more well uh, defended from the Scriptures. I think you know what I'm trying to say. I'm not finding the best ways to say it, but uh, have that mutual love and respect for one another. Hold firm to what you read in God's word. Um, Explore other positions outside of yours. Uh, Explore other positions outside of your camp that are biblically sound. Um, Maybe don't worry so much about the Latter-day Saints position. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Stay away from that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Stay away. Um, sound orthodox and not necessarily eastern orthodox but orthodox as in a historical would that be a better way to put it i don't know um sound biblical christianity yeah Yeah. um find different positions study them learn them uh 
hold to the word of God and let the word of God lead you. Uh, Alex, thank you for being my guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I look forward to, we'll work this schedule out. We'll figure it out. It'll be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, good night, everybody. Good morning. Have a great day. Whatever time you're listening, God bless you and take care. God bless. Peace out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.